0: Kaiju FM. Come find your niche.
1: Hey folks, and welcome to The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers film lover each episode we pick a film we discuss that film we review that film and we talk about some of the ideas and themes that film throws up and as always we end the show with what else we end the show with recommendations with further reading if you will and as always we start the show with what else so as you may know sam has had the audacity to go off and have a child and it's us taking a few episodes off from the show. And so I've been roping in people I know off the internet to come and be my guest host. If you listened last week, you would have heard us talking about Crimson Peak. And this week we're talking about another movie. So my guest host for this week, please say hello and tell my listeners who you are.
0: Hello, uh, my name is Karen Heimdall and I am a podcaster, audio drama creator, a voice actor and a drama teacher from Sweden. Uh, that you may not be able to hear that from my accent. Um, But uh, I do two podcasts. One of them is a pop culture podcast, which is kind of why I feel I could possibly uh, attribute to this. Uh, It's called Det Nulla Svarta. My other show uh, is an audio drama called Y2K. And Y2K is a serialized drama in 54 parts that I am releasing weekly all through 2020. And it is about, in the year two, who uh, move far apart and have to connect through uh, internet voicemails. Those are the days long before Skype, all of that good stuff. And it's about also about the uh, 2020 student who finds their voicemail to a podcast. So that's a little bit about me.
1: Fair enough. We will put links to all of that in the show notes, guys. Um, as someone who was in his late teens in the year, 2020, year 2000, uh, I yeah. do enjoy the nostalgia for that period it's very much my my formative years
0: yeah yeah mine too (laughs)
1: yes yes i was i was 17 on the millennium night um and yeah it's a huge i mean it's a huge forming part of my sort of my psyche and my formative years was that those kind of millennium years and weirdly enough i wrote a whole essay on them at university
0: Really? Okay. So that would have been a few years
1: later. Right? That was a few years later, um, but it was the idea. It's one of the reasons why I, I felt we went through a whole period of reboots, remakes, and that kind of thing. Is yeah. the idea that as a society we were, we were looking back inherently because of millennium, we were looking back over history just because we it was all about history, and that's what yeah. for, that's what brought about all these reboots, restarts, reimaginings of different um, films because as a culture we were looking backwards. Yeah. So. Yeah. When Do you essays. think that that is
0: what started the the whole sort of well, what we're still doing, which is all these reboots and remakes and all of that stuff? Do you think I it think started so. there? I think so. I mean,
1: I'm say so I'm 36 now, and I think that people my age are now the ones making the movies and commissioning the movies. And I yeah, grew up in that quite. Yeah nostalgia-driven looking back period um so i can see that i think that's a large part of why it is i think also it's you know dwindling cinemas means that they're going to bet on sure <laughs> things um over yes. more imaginary fare. but that does lead nicely into the movie of the week um, which we'll talk about later it does very <laughs> imaginative fare. um we do always start the show with other things we've been watching, other things we've been reading or enjoying mm-hmm. in the last times. Now, I don't always expect my, get my host to have something, but do you have something you want to recommend outside of the...
0: I do. Oh, okay, I please do. share. do. <laughs> because I always do this kind of thing uh, on my own show as well. So I, I heard that you did it and I actually offered to do it because I, 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 I like this sort of thing. Uh, what I'm currently watching, well, I'm always watching and reading and listening to a lot, but... I just started uh, Star Trek Picard, and I'm not the biggest Trekkie, but uh, Star Trek The Next Generation was definitely my Star Trek growing up. And seeing uh, Patrick Stewart as uh, Jean-Luc Picard again is, you know, all my nostalgia buttons are hard-pressed from the, from the top. You know, I just sit there, and the very first scene, I'm not going to spoil anything because this is literally the first scene of the, uh, of the TV show, is Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner, who played Data, um, playing Star Trek chess. And it just hits me right in all the fields. Uh, and I've now watched uh, three episodes, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it much more than I thought I would. I feel that they've brought in some, you know, some uh, now sensibilities to this. And I'm intrigued to see where this... Uh,
1: I no, I am a bit of a tricky um ah. and like you i think i feel we're of similar ages where like mm. next generation was my show like mm. i i knew the original series my dad liked it but next generation was the show that really brought me into it and i've seen the pilot of picard um and mm. like you it's it's right in those feels. and it, it feels yeah. i think i like it because it feels like it's not a cash-in like they feel like they're yeah. doing something with it. and you say they are bringing something more it isn't just like a cheap rehash look who we've got cast in this yeah it is doing something it is kind of bringing new stuff into the world and trying to tell new stories and i do enjoy that a bit
0: yeah and i feel like they're actually trying to tell a new a new story within the star trek universe uh which is really cool and not really referencing i mean they're referencing back but they're not referencing everything all the time you know they're They are seemingly trying to tell something, and I find that real. So we shall see where it goes, but I'm excited about it.
1: My recommendation is wildly different to yours. Um, Mm. I have been watching on Netflix a show called Next in Fashion, um, Mm. which, if anyone who knows me in real life, will be. (laughs) <laughs> amazed at because i am not renowned for being the most fashionable person in the world i, I locked into being a punk at about 18 and have not really changed um so <laughs> this is out of my wheelhouse um mm. but my my wife is heavily into sewing and dressmaking and she's she's into that kind of thing oh cool um, so am i so, tell me about this show uh it basically it's is it's tan france from queer eye um right. and alexa chung it is kind of like great bit of bake-off or any kind of reality talent show but of designers oh, really? um now these are all active working; it isn't like bake-off in the way that they are all amateurs these are all actual designers with experience and credits and years in the industries oh. of them um but they are paired up and they're given challenges and they have to produce some outlandish and amazing things in the time frame and everyone gets voted off and there is that kind of competitive nature of it Um, Mm. but for us it's just it's seeing the clothes come together and seeing the process because Mm. i'm always a big fan being a bit of techie i like seeing the nuts and bolts of how things work and it's nice to see how these people put together clothing how it's planned how it's thought through and it does cover their thought processes on what they're doing and why they're doing it and then also the judgment is it's in depth and it covers explains why they didn't like this or what they thought didn't work here so Mm. It's it's it is one I'm, I'm watching mean. with my wife and learning, mm. um, but it's fun. I enjoy Tan France as a as a presenter and a person, um, so I very much enjoyed it.
0: That is wonderful. I I'm gonna check that out because I very much enjoyed Project Runway when that was mm. a thing, and that was sort of similar, but but with amateurs. So that really was like the Great British Bake Off. Yes, and uh, and yeah, that sounds great.
1: So that that's one I would uh, I would I'd recommend it. if you do that thing, I'd recommend it. Mm, cool. So as I said guys, we are continuing on picking a movie of the week. Um and this week is no different. and picked by my lovely host we have the movie Aniara som kommer att ta dig hela vägen ifrån jorden till mars på tre veckor.
0: Tyvärr innebär detta att vi inte längre kan styra Aniara. När vi passerar en tillräckligt stor himlakropp så kommer vi med hjälp av gravitationen från den kunna vända tillbaka i kurs. Exakt hur lång tid det kan bli frågan om kan i nuläget inte
1: besvara. Aniara is a 2018 science fiction film um, from Sweden and it tells the tale of a, I'd say, a space cruise ship, Let me like say, going from Earth to Mars after Earth becomes unhabitable due to disasters and climate change that is thrown off course and is sent, not spiralling, but drifting out into open space. And with the hope of rescue and the hope of turn the ship around, it is the tale of one person who works on that ship and their journey through this period. I'm going to say here guys. We're going to get into the spoilers about this movie pretty fast. It's hard not to. So if you haven't seen the movie. And you want to go into this spoiler free. Which I would heartily recommend for this film. Please stop now. Go and go and watch the movie and then come back. But from this point onwards. It is full open spoilers on the film. In the movie they continue off into deep space. And it is about the slow degradation of society. Of humanity. Of everything over that long long time so it was your recommendation it was your film you chose what brought this to mind
0: yeah it's, it's I hadn't seen it yet um, and of course for me being Swedish this is based off um, a Swedish uh, poet and author called Harima who wrote this in 1956 As and it's an epic poem so it's very very poetic and for me it was something that I read as a teenager and was very struck by Mm. So I think that we probably came into this very, very differently because I knew the whole story. I'd read uh, the epic poem uh, many times. I've also actually done a podcast episode about the poem, not about the ah. movie, but about the poem. It was one of the first ones that we did. Uh, and my co-hosts uh, both were very angry with me because they thought it was just so incredibly depressing.
1: <laughs> but I mean, they're not they're, wrong.
0: <laughs> they're not wrong. <laughs> they really are not. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, so I, I knew what was going to happen, and I knew it was going to be uh, really, really tough. But I was really interested to see what they would do with this material. Mm-hmm. And there was so much talk about it, because uh, it premiered, I think, at the Toronto Film Festival in the summer of 2018. And then it didn't have, um, like, a Swedish premiere until this time last year, so around January, February 2019. And it hasn't had, like, a general release Mm. that much in that many places. Um, But uh, as a sort of an interesting thing, last year when it did premiere at the uh, Gothenburg Film Festival, I live in Gothenburg, so uh, they did a special screening where they uh, shut in the audience into sarcophagi. So you could lie in your own individual coffin, basically, and watch the movie. Wow. I didn't get a ticket for that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'm not that's... sure. I mean, I don't know if I'm happy about that or not, but it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> I, I, I always enjoy film screenings that kind of go above and beyond and bring something, even if it's something weird and out there. Mm. They make it more than just sitting in a chair.
0: Yes. Uh, so, I mean, that was, I thought that was
1: really interesting. Yeah, and it's like, a
0: very, it's a very, uh, yeah, sorry. We're gonna...
1: So look, I think, I think you're right. I think it's, cause I, it's one that I've wanted to watch for a while. It's been one sitting in my to watch pile for, basically since it was available to me to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just never got around to it. Um, and I think your co-hosts are right. Um <laughs> yes. It is, it is one of the bleakest films I've watched in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've watched a lot of films, and I watched a lot of obscure, weird films. <laughs> and this is one where I genuinely left it feeling—I don't even know what the word for—just, just not hopeless, but just like I'd been through the ringer, like I, I, I lived in that experience. And it is mm. so bleak, especially yes. the last part, the last sort of sections you have. Uh, but I do think like, that that bleakness comes in the very start. At least she starts unhappy, and mm. I was trying to explain this to to my friends. Like it's everything goes wrong. There isn't a moment that isn't either tainted or just bad. And it is about this slow, ponderous degradation of of humanity and of the culture. And it is is about that long view, that long-term view of humanity and what that's like. And it isn't, I mean... I'm a big fan of the movie The Martian, which I really love. Mm. And this is almost the opposite of that entire... That is about the triumph of human spirit, the triumph of human ingenuity. Mm. And this isn't... This is just like, this is the course. This is it now. And nothing that anyone can do can change that. They can make it a bit better and make it a bit more enjoyable or a bit less enjoyable. But no one can change the fate. It's just... It's the fate.
0: Yeah. And it's really... Because I I quite soon understood that they did it in sort of 10-minute chapters... So every 10 minutes it changes because there are chapter headings very Mm. clearly um, marked in the film. So after 10 minutes is when the the sort of collision happens and they have to dump all their fuel and they cannot do anything. Mm. And this is supposed to be, well, basically a space shuttle. So people are coming on board thinking it's going to be like three weeks or something like that. And it just drags on for years.
1: Mm.
0: And you know, or, well, you don't know. I knew because I'd I'd read the book. Yes. But you sort of understand that, okay, they are not really having any hope here. It is quite clearly revealed quite quickly, mm. even after that, sort of after the 10 minutes when they have the collision, that this is probably not... They try to throw some hope in there, but... Not gonna yeah,
1: happen. it is interesting that the film, in particular, very, very quickly on establishes that there is no hope. Mm. That The plan that they've been told they're going to do can't work, and... Apart from a very brief section in which they discover, I presume, some sort of alien life form Maybe. Um, in the sphere. that's very unclear what that is. <laughs> very unclear. Uh, apart from that, there is no, there's never, the film never to an audience presents an element of hope. Um,
0: well, they actually do it at the very beginning when the uh, the captain, the um, chefone says, mm. uh, we are hoping to uh, collide with something in a few years I think he says Mm. at that point and then we will be able to correct our course and get on the right course and so we we are sort of the passengers sort of believe that for a while and also the audience can believe that if they like but it's not for that long because the astronomer character who Mm. knows about what is out there and where they're heading fairly quickly lets us know that nah no there's nothing there Things gonna Nothing's going to get us to correct this course. We're moving straight straight uh, in a straight line towards nowhere.
1: Um, I think that's one thing that I really liked about it was that it felt like it was always building to something. And mm. that thing never came, but it always felt like it was <laughs> building towards some sort of explosion of un, and we're so used to seeing these movies about you know people trapped in one place and the breakdown Mm. of humanity and it always builds to a big explosion Mm. of of anger and violence or whatever Mm. films like green room or films like 10 cloverfield lane where that kind Mm. of bottle movie Mm. and this doesn't do that but the cramped nature of it the always cramped nature of it is so claustrophobic and so intense all the shots are really close up and really intense and all the corridors are thin and small and everything's a bit smaller it should be and it has that real cruise ship feeling and that real ferry feeling of just like it's all a bit crap but you're only here for a little bit it doesn't really matter
0: exactly exactly and that was my first sort of almost shock upon starting to watch the movie because and i i heard about i read up on this later on they actually because they had no budget for a movie, they had no budget. So they shot it in um, Mall of Scandinavia, which is outside Stockholm. is this mm. really huge shopping mall. They shot it on uh, a, a, a cruise ship, the sort of ferry between Stockholm and uh, Helsinki. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also shot it in uh, like a conference center. Mm. So it's shot in these very sort of now uh, spaces uh, and existence spaces. And they did build some sets, but very, very few because they had no money. And that to me set it because, of course, in my mind, it's sort of I have, I'm tinged by the. it was written in 1986, you know, mm. and that era. And the sort of idea that I had when I read it as a teenager was of a generic sort of, you know, silvery and white spaceship type thing. Yeah. So this was very cluttered and like a, the, the Mima place was like a yoga studio and there mm. were sh- like shops and restaurants and entertainment and very sort of cruise ship and they had a swimming pool and all all of those things that were very cruise ship like and that for me just set it in the now like they're on because of the clothes and everything and the hairdos it's Mm. not set in a future it's set in like five years or something
1: yeah i mean the mima is like the closest thing you have to sort of Sci-fi technology, mm, um, yeah. and the film never makes any attempt to explain any of it. I'm and I like that. I like that they didn't mm. like they didn't try to explain why there's gravity. Or it just it just it's just there because it isn't mm. about that. I mean, the sci-fi is, is the setting, is the mise en scene, but it isn't about science or fiction it's no, about humanity no. it's about people yeah and definitely i know the original poem was written as mostly a reaction to sort of the cold war and the atom bomb and that kind of thing
0: yeah the hydrogen bomb tests in the mm. um soviet union three i think was what really made him go oh ah i have to write this
1: there is no hope this is my yeah. warning um, but to, to me watching this all i could think about was climate change yeah 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 yeah. It's the only thing i think was just like this, this It's entirely that kind of Mm. That feeling of we're on this path, we can't change it, and all we're doing is amusing ourselves till we die.
0: Yes, exactly. And that is sort of, I mean, they did have um, some very clear sort of burn victims uh, scattered Mm. as passengers and crew. So they are sort of going with the original story, which is of a nuclear Mm. disaster of some sort. But I agree with you. The only thing I could think was climate change as well. And that is sort of our time that we are in now very much mirrors the time that uh, Martinson was in in the 50s, we are sort of in disaster mode. We are going, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, Mm -hmm. And everyone is sort of either uh, ignoring it, and as you say, sort of finding entertainment and just going, la, 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 or trying to change it and feeling like it is very hard and basically almost impossible to change. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? Uh, So it's very sort of right- uh, for the for the time stuff.
1: So. and it's you weird know, i i have a three-year-old daughter um mm-hmm. and and so she's the same age ish as the uh the toddler in the movie mm, yeah
0: um, that was very we,
1: tough that I, I, there, there's, there's a scene towards the end in which the main character's partner and son die um and that, hey, that was incredibly hard for me to watch um late, yeah. late last night but also it's like there. i not that I, I don't get that but I do look at the world and think about you know climate change and the world and bringing mm-hmm. my daughter into yeah yeah and that is something that you kind of think about and you think about well what am I doing I, I've got a daughter here I want to live you know the rest of her life in a world that's good and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just I think well can we change it is it too late to it or are the vested interests that are in power they're not interested in changing it they're not interested they're yeah. just yeah interested in maintaining that you know in making money. In <laughs> And the, the the captains and the pilots mm. just stay as pilots. And it's like, at a certain point, guys, like, you can't do anything. The, the pilot. You, yeah. you just, just fly in space. And it's like, but they, they need to hold on to that rigidity and that control. Mm. And they, it's, it's that kind of, you know, playing the violin as that t- goes down. That, but it, they yeah. are trying to keep this world together and rather than try and i don't know build something new and try Mm -hmm. and create something else they're just going to you know we're just we have to keep doing as we're doing we can't change the world we can't change things when we can yeah
0: um i mean that is i wanted because i also have have kids though mine are um six and eight so they're a little older than yours Mm. but i felt the what actually happens is that the uh, Mimarob, is who is the main character, the protagonist, she has a relationship with one of the pilots. Her name is Isagel. Mm-hmm. Isag- Isagel, and then and Isagel has a child, and it's their son basically. And I think he's maybe two. Uh, and Isagel commits suicide, brings kills him. And mm-hmm. um, and what was hardest from that was incredibly hard to watch. But what was actually harder for me was when she was pregnant and she was saying. What kind of world are we bringing? Am I bringing this child into? Mm. I'm bringing my child into a coffin, and I was just like, <gasps> "Oh dear yeah. Lord, this is so hard,"
1: um, because it's true. It is, but I think that's for <sighs> yeah. me. Although I said I left the film feeling sort of bleak and demoralized, it has incredibly stuck with me. Mm. I have thought about this film constantly since I saw mm. it, and I think one of that it comes to the fact that it doesn't ever hide from those truths.
0: exactly. It's very sort of uncompromising in its mm. message. It is saying we are heading for destruction and it just keeps reiterating that message in every scene and it's true, you know? Uh, and
1: it's it's the it's just that feeling of like the film it talks about think horrible things like suicide and mm death and this feeling and it doesn't shy away from any of that it doesn't shy away from anything and that's I think the reason why it's really not uh, really affected me so much mm. about it um before we move on to talking about uh, recommendations i wanted to talk a little bit about the ending yeah so you have sort of 20 i think you have like you have like five solid years of a lot of information a lot of stuff going on and they have these little snapshots of 10 years 24 years and mm. 6 million years yep um and the six million years, obviously, Everyone's dead. Everyone's been dead for many, many, millions of years. 20, 24 years is just kind of the last remnants clinging on to. Which I think was the old Mima studio. Yes, it, but, it
0: was. They were, and and the Mima rub was sitting there, mm, and sort of it was dark, and it was just you could tell like, they were minutes away from dying, something like that. It was just the very last sort of breath.
1: Um, uh, yeah. And then six million years later, yeah, the Inara runs at, it arrives at a planet. A verdant and green, mm. luscious planet. Yep. And a day later, I do not know what I'm taking. And they not, not a bad way, isn't a complaint about the film. I think it's an amazing strength of the film. Mm. And I'm kind of like, is that hope? Is that yeah. more bleakness in that there was a hope there if they'd just done it smarter and better, or whatever? Yeah. You know, if five million years of living on a duration ship would have gotten them to a planet. Should they've done that? Or is it a case of that, often that thing of the idea that, you know, we're saying that the world's dying, well, it's not we're dying and yeah. the world will continue to be. And, you know, the ship full of algae and human remains will bring life to this world. And it's just, mm. I've really liked its ambiguity. And I think I'm be really puzzling over what it means and what they intended by it, whether it's a hopeful ending or a downbeat ending for a long time.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I At first... I just thought they were harking back to the beginning because I thought it was Earth and it was mm. just sort of, we're, we're, we've are we gone full circle now, we're going to start this story over now and it's just going to go just as much to hell again. And then I was like, no, but this is not Earth. What is it? Mm. And I can't figure, I mean, it's, as you say, it is deliberately ambi- ambiguous, but there is some kind of, I had this one idea that maybe uh, Aniara crashes into the oceans and somehow you know microbes of humanity mm. managed to create new life or whatever or maybe just that is uh, a planet that already has that mm. uh could that and could we, be it too
1: we've become the spear that arrives and uh, doesn't
0: destroys it
1: <laughs> um and but i, I just yeah. i'd like to the it, it's I think so often that amb- ambiguous endings in movies can feel like a cop-out. Like they didn't know how to end it so they just kind of did, stuck that in the end. But this mm. didn't. It felt measured and it's felt um, really thoughtful. And I genuinely, I sat there because the, the credits play over this shot of the um, the uh, this mm. planet. Yeah. And I sat there and watched and I thought, am I going to see it loop round?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Am I going to see it? like this? Is it, this is it? Is it like a, one last final black comedic joke that they reach yeah. the planet and it loops around heads back? Yeah. And it's just like, is that... Is that what's happening here? Um, mm. I just, I just didn't know, and I really liked that. And then
0: I did too. I at first it just startled me, and I was like, "Wait, what? What are we doing?" Mm. Uh, and then yeah, I agree with you. I, I liked it as well. And I thought, I, I, what I really loved was the, the dust you see in the Aniara space shuttle. The sort of just, there's nothing there anymore. It's dust. It's still the space shuttle is still there, but the humans are gone. The things are gone. The lights are gone. It's just dust. And it's there's some sort of existential uh, feeling of eternity. There's something going on there that uh, harks back to the poem, which uh, one thing for me is that sadly the poem is referenced fairly lightly, um, Mm. as in the language of the poetry. There are some moments, but not that many. I understand why they did that. But it's still Mm. a pity because there's so much beauty and a little bit of comfort as well, I think. In the beautiful language while the world is, or the sh- uh, shuttle is going under humanity is. Mm. So there is, um, there is a balance there in the poem that is not their film. I respect it, but I would like just...
1: I think it's, no, I didn't know it based on the poem until after I'd seen it. Mm. Mm. Um, and once I knew that, a lot of pieces fell into place for me because I, li- I really liked a, the sort of stanza element of like, little snapshots of stories. Mm. Mm. Um, and, That kind of, I suppose, sparse nature of the poem, Mm. where it paints pictures sort of loosely and fills things in for you, and that's really beautifully done. Um, I've I've read the uh, the translation, not the original, Mm. um, I must say. But the movie does the same thing. It jumps on years. And yeah. doesn't care to explain how we got there. It doesn't need to. You don't, you don't need to know what happened between year 10 and year 24 or what between yeah. year 5 and year 10. It doesn't matter. No, I um, really
0: enjoy that as well, that you sort of make sort of, jump, you jump and you sort of land in what what's happening in year 10. And you just have to sort of construct for yourself whatever's been happening in between. Mm. It's really, and it adds also to that whole feeling of this is inevitable. We are moving towards an inevitable destruction and these
1: are just, pit stops along the way. So we always like to end the show with recommendations. So further, we often call it further reading, but uh, further watching things that you would, if they've liked this, to uh, maybe look at next or read or listen to or or, other lines. Do you have anything you'd like to uh, recommend?
0: I do. Uh, I have, well, I have two things, basically. Mm -hmm. And one of them is just, uh, if this movie sort of whets your appetite for Swedish movies, And I will just admit that even though I am Swedish, I don't watch that much. Uh, I'll just admit that. But I'd just like to recommend a completely different film in this language um, from this culture. From uh, 1998, which is probably one of my favorite Swedish films of all time. It's called in English, Show Me Love. Um, The uh, Swedish title is uh, much more... uh, Interesting I think it's called fucking Ormol and Ormol is the little town where the uh, story is set. Have you seen it by any chance?
1: I can't say I have.
0: Well, you you, you should. Uh, it's as I said it's from 1998 so it's quite old at this point. It's a story of two uh, young girls. They're in late middle school so probably uh, and they they just live in this very oppressive small town. Have a very sort of dull school life and it's it's about their love for one another. And it's it's a really beautiful, I would recommend that just on the basis of if this gets you intrigued uh, in the Swedish film, that is one. And then the other one, um, I'm just going to move away from film altogether and uh, go into audio drama, which I love, Uh, (laughs) and I'm thinking of audio drama, which uh, is in space and deals with existential questions, and I'd like to recommend uh, Girl in Space, which is a very sort of well-known audio drama, but if you if you don't know audio drama, then you might not either. And audio drama, you can, if you don't know, you can find it uh, in your normal podcatcher, wherever you find the show, you can find loads and loads of audio drama. And it is not like old-style radio theater, it is much more like a movie, a movie for your ears. And Girl in Space is about... Uh, A woman who is alone on, completely alone a space station. And the sort of mystery that unravels about why is she there alone? And of course, eventually she is not completely alone. And how does that affect her? I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's a very sort of philosophical audio drama that I think would appeal to anyone.
1: Excellent. I'll put both of those in the show notes for our listeners. I've got to recommend this week one book and one film so mm. first up the book is a book from 2015 i think it is uh, by neil stevenson called seven eaves mm. which is another science fiction story mm. um also told out on a long timeline not as long admittedly as this film <laughs> but uh, certainly a long timeline and it's about the moon breaks up And the uh, following destruction of the earth and the survivors who survive in the ISS and their journey over many years and eventually many thousands of years. Um, Mm. It is a very interesting book. It was very, I read it a couple of years ago it came out. Um, It's very, very thick. It's very dense. um, But it doesn't, in the same way that this doesn't deal too much in the science of it, this is far more interested in the people and the stories and their relationships rather than their um, sort of the hard science of what's good. My filmic recommendation is another similar movie, which is another one in that kind of science fiction, but not really about science movies. Um, and that's mm. the 2004 film Primer. This is a film that did very well when it first came out, but it's kind of been forgotten over time. Um, but essentially a group of friends, a group of engineers invent time travel. Oh. And it's about their the disillusionment and destruction of their friendship and their relationships and them as people when they discover they can travel in time the technology doesn't matter the the, the science is, is bunk um but it is that same kind of slightly low-key slightly to go science but it's about their people and it's about that it is more technical certainly than anara mm. but it has that same kind of feel of bleakness it's the same kind of feel of being a bit more about people and a bit more kind of I'd say textured as a film mm. as opposed to maybe more the shiny science fiction you get elsewhere.
0: Interesting. I'd I I'd heard about the book, but I the movie I've never
1: Yeah, but it, it won it won Grand Jury Prize at Sundance back when it was released. Mm. Um and but it only had a limited release. Um and it hasn't it's one of those films that was big in the indie scene in two thousand four, um when I did my film degree. So I watched it a lot. Yeah. But it hasn't sort of uh impacted much since then Mm. so that's our episode guys that's us talking about one of the bleakest films but also (laughs) one of the most intriguing and most interesting and certainly one of the best films i've seen in a while so it's it's i'm glad i got to watch it me too where can our listeners find you if they want to find you online they
0: can find me on twitter at karen haim k-a-r-i-n-h-e-i-m or they can find my show at White Two K Pod Two.
1: And someone let's say who was around in that time, I do enjoy the the uh, <laughs> pieces of two uh, thousands trivia that uh, pop up on your feed occasionally.
0: Oh, great! Yeah, I yes. I do uh, on this day in the year two thousand, almost yeah. every day all year. So I've gathered loads and loads of facts.
1: <laughs> it, it's a lot of. I remember that song. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So. You can find me on Twitter at FM, and you can find this show at Pretty Podcast. And I'll be back in probably two weeks with another guest host and another guest film to be decided between now and then. (laughs) So thanks for listening and thank you for coming on this week.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) And we'll see you guys soon.
0: Bye.